You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. Thanks, Caleb. All right, maybe we should start with a joke. There was a young pastor going to preach on a Sunday morning. And on his way to church, a gust of wind came out of nowhere, blew all his papers into the wind and out into the lake. And so he was really nervous. And he got to church, and he's standing up at the front at the pulpit, and he says, I'm so sorry, ladies and gentlemen, but my, my notes are gone. I'm going to have to rely totally on the power of the Holy Spirit today. But don't worry, next Sunday I'll do much better. I, I normally have like one page of notes, but I've got a lot of material to go through today. So this is a bit weird, but I've got like a whole sheaf of paper here. Um, I just want to quickly say hello from my family. Like Caleb said, we've been coming here for just over a year. We thoroughly enjoy being here at Life Tree Church. It's, uh, it's, it's been so good. Um, I have been in full-time ministry for almost 25 years, and my family... My mother, sisters, brothers are not Christian. And wherever I am speaking in churches or around the world, my family usually comes to visit. And my sister and mom have been a couple of times here to Victoria and come to visit this church. And this is the first church in 25 years that they said they liked. And so that speaks highly of the church. When they come to Victoria, there's two things they want to do. They want to go catch crab, and they want to come to Life Tree. So uh, good on you guys. It's so welcoming. Uh, you see, I got three boys there. My wife is Kim, and then our kids, Gideon, Malachi, and Jude. We... Did it go to the next slide? Perfect. I grew up in northern Saskatchewan. My wife grew up in southern Manitoba. We joined YWAM in 2003, and we lived in Alberta. And we lived in Alberta, but we spent about six months of the year traveling to Southeast Asia. And then in 2013, we moved to Fiji in the South Pacific, and we spent about eight years living in the South Pacific, ministering in that region. And then we moved to Victoria here in the middle of COVID, or the beginning of COVID, I should say, in 2020. So... What I am excited to share with you guys is some of the things that I've been learning for the last couple of years. About three years ago, I started a master's degree uh, through a university in Hawaii. And when it, a couple of years ago, I had to choose my, my research thesis. What was I going to study? And when I was in Bible school many years ago, we would have these missions conferences. And they would put a giant map of the world on the floor, and we would all have to pray and ask, Lord, where should we go? Like, where are you calling me to? And I remember people would run to Africa and to different parts of Asia and South America, and I'd really be earnestly praying, like, Lord, where should I go? And God would always tell me to go to Canada, which felt weird because I thought God always called you to go out to another nation. But I'd go stand on Canada and look around, and usually was the only person standing at Canada, and this would happen year after year, and I'd, I'd feel kind of embarrassed by it all. Uh, and then the funny thing is, I'd spend you know, a good portion of 20 years serving all over the world and all those people that said they were going to leave state in Canada. So uh, 
So when I was working on this master's degree and they said, okay, you need to pick a subject to study, I just really felt like God say to me, I want you to look at what's happening in Canada. What's happening with the church in Canada? And so I, Caleb and I have been talking a lot about this for the past years. I've been going through my research and studying books and, and doing different things. And, and I think that it's, I don't know if it matches your personality, but I'm a big picture sort of guy. I kind of want to know what's happening for the whole world and especially for the nation of Canada. And so I'm going to share this morning some of what is happening for us as a nation. And you hopefully know that we have a role as God's followers to preach the gospel to all the nations. You know, we are commissioned. Jesus, right before he floated up into the heavens, he said to us, go into all the nations, discipling them, teaching them all that I've commanded you to do. And so I expect that at the beginning of this message, you're going to be, ha ha, that's kind of fun. I, I, I like that. And, and then all of a sudden, it's going to turn a little weird. And you're going to be like, uh, wait a minute. And then we're going to have a little bit of time like this. And you're going to be like, get off the stage. Uh, hopefully, we end up like this. That's my, that's my plan. All right, I want to begin with a brief history of Canada. Uh, you know, a couple of these slides are left over from my presentation that I had to do at the university because there was a lot of people there who didn't know Canada. Uh, we understand that Canada has this existed for a very long time. You know, different people argue on who discovered Canada, you know, which was the first European to do it. It was probably people say the Vikings, some people, John Cabot, Jacques Cartier. Uh, it was probably Asians that came here over a land bridge maybe 8,000 years ago. That's a little bit about how people got here. Uh, the modern nation of Canada is famous for several things. You probably know that we invented ice hockey. I don't know if you know, but we invented Hawaiian pizza. Actually, that's from Winnipeg, Manitoba, where my wife is from. We also invented basketball, peanut butter, and the Wonder Bra. When I was in Hawaii, I, I had to tell them a little bit about Tim Hortons, and everybody in the crowd is shouting, Justin Bieber! Uh, I, I didn't realize this, but there's like Bieber coffee. Yeah, I just... That was, anyway, we also like to say sorry. The first Christian religious service that happened in Canada was in Frobisher Bay on September 3rd in 1578. And it was the ch an Anglican chaplain on an on a exploration boat that was traveling along the coast. So our first Christian service happened in Canada quite a long time ago. And that was the beginning of the entrance of at least the religion of Christianity coming into North America. And it was really interesting in my studies to note that the Anglican church had a very low view of native people. And when they got here, the first few Anglican priests looked at the native people and they weren't sure if they were even human. And so they didn't have any great desire to share the gospel with the people in Canada because they're, maybe they're more like animals than they are like humans. But the Catholics, this is interesting, saw the native people and had a very high opinion of native people. 
And I read many letters that were recorded in some of their historical journals going back 300 years ago where those first priests that came and met the native people spoke such nice things about them. So uh, kudos to you, Catholic Church. Uh, When Canada became its own country with confederation, they decided to do a census in 1871. And in this census, they discovered that Canada was 99.26% Christian. Now, here's a little bit of trivia. You had two options. You were either Christian or pagan. (laughs) It's interesting how many people actually chose the pagan option. But this is, this is a, a, this kind of shows us or gives us an interesting question. How do you know if somebody is Christian or not? And as I was studying Christianity in Canada, how do you measure who is Christian and how many numbers are Christian? And so I need four volunteers to come up here on stage with me. It would be great if we could have somebody in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. Can we get some volunteers to come up quick? Somebody 20s. 30s, 40s, 50s. It's an easy one. Okay, we got a 50s. Can we get a 40? Can we get a 30? 30s, uh, 20s. 20s. Way to go. Nobody in their 20s. Perfect. Yeah, just come up here. Okay, so if you were doing a research study on on sports fans, how would you decide which of these four people is a sports fan? You guys have the easy job. You just got to stand there. Just stand there and look pretty. But for for the rest of us, if we were trying to figure out which of them is is a sports fan, what kind of questions might we ask? Like, what would we be looking for to to figure out which of these is the true sports fan? Okay, shout it out. What what would we do? Knowledge of the sport. Do, do you like sports? Do you like sports? Asking the question? Okay. Excitement. Okay, yeah. Do they cheer loud? How many games have you been to? Ooh, when's the last game you went to? I think you guys know where we're headed. What else? Stats. Do they have stats and information? Do you know how to skate? How much money you spent on it? Oh, your team's cheer. Okay, uh, do you wear the jersey? Do you wear the jersey? Okay, what if, what if one or two of these people say, I love sports. I always watch the Super Bowl. Are they a sports fan? Oh, come on, they watch the Super Bowl. They're not a real sports fan. They like the halftime show. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of challenging trying to figure out how you measure something like that. Okay, you probably figured out. How do you figure out if someone's Christian? Do any of those things transfer? Which of the things transfer? What questions should we ask to figure out which of these guys and girls are the real Christians? Knowledge and habits, okay? How they treat other people. Tithing. Oh, that cuts deep. That cuts deep. 
Oh, where's your treasure? Oh, boy. Someone from accounting. Do they read the Bible? Which Bible? Hmm. Level of joy, the Torah. <laughs> Cheeky, British. Okay, what else? Is there any other way that you'd measure Christianity? Community? Do you love Jesus? Have you been baptized? Oh, those are great. What do their kids say about them? I thought it was, we should go back to, was it the 90s when everybody had the WWJD? We should all be like Caleb and get that big tattoo on his chest. <laughs> okay, thanks guys. That was easy. Thank you so much. That was the, that was the fun, happy, smiley part. Now we, we shift a little bit. All right. So I looked at, in, in my research and for this crazy paper I had to write, I, I looked at three different ways of measuring Christianity, affiliation, attendance, and values. First one is pretty simple. Do you go to church? Sorry, no, it's not. Um, do you identify as a Christian? If someone asks you, are you a Christian, what do you say? And so, good job. <laughs> that was quick. Government of Canada has been pretty good with releasing statistics about religion. And so they've been asking this question in different ways for many years. And so when we look at the Government of Canada information, we can see that there's been a steady decline in the number of people identifying as Christians. Um, it is interesting that... In the last census, 2021, under the religion category, 21,000 people identified as Jedi Knights. So, we have to be a little careful how we use statistics. Either that or we have 21,000 Jedis in Canada, which is also pretty cool. <laughs> Mark Twain said that there are three lies, types of lies. He says there are lies, there are damned lies, and then there's statistics. So, so in my studies, I was constantly aware we have to be careful how we use and look at these numbers. So another way that we examine Christianity is attendance. How many people are going to church? Now, Government of Canada asks this occasionally, but the, the way they did it probably wasn't the most helpful. But there's a guy named Reginald Bibby, who's a sociologist with the University in Lethbridge, Alberta, and he's written a lot of books about Christianity in Canada. Many of you have probably read at least one of his books. And he's been doing uh, research across Canada asking this question about attendance. Have you attended, do you attend church one to two times per month at a minimum? And so in his, with his numbers, we see that we've had a pretty sudden drop in the attendance. And what's interesting is that for years, he's been crunching the numbers and looking towards the future, and that by the year 2100, it's forecast that only 4% of Christians will be attending church. To put that in perspective, that's uh, about 
the same percentage of people who are Christians in Saudi Arabia. And 21, the year 2100 is actually not that far away. Two generations or less. Third way to measure Christianity is how does faith influence your decisions? Now, there's been a, I think we can all notice that there's been a major change. And up until the 1960s and 70s, whenever there was an important decision to be made in just about every sphere of society, family, business, arts and entertainment, uh, government, in all of these different areas, the church had a voice. The church would say, well, here's some values that we have. Here are some scriptural ideas. And so this is how we should make the decision. And so the church had a pretty loud voice right up until the 60s and 70s. And then that voice got quiet. And now the church is nearly silent, or people don't listen, at least, to what the church has to say. So our values have been going through a very radical shift. I know that when I travel around the world, a lot of people will talk to me about Canada and go, wow. Canada is like the first to do this and this and this. Man, you guys are in rough shape. Medically assisted suicides in Canada. We are world leaders. 3.3% of everyone who dies in Canada dies from medically assisted suicide now. Vancouver Island. 7.5% of everyone who dies here is from suicide. So just about every metric that we use to measure Christianity in Canada is in this steep nosedive. Do you remember the pictures I showed at the beginning? <laughs> yeah, you start booing. Which raises the question, are we a Christian nation anymore? Uh, in the 2021 government statistics report... British Columbia was the first province in history in Canada to declare or to to be more than 50% atheist. More than half the people here have no faith whatsoever. So in my my thesis in my studies, I, I had to answer this question. What is, what is causing the decline in Christianity? Uh, I spent two years researching this subject. And the good thing is that there's some very smart people who have been working on this. That you, not Sorry, not me. <laughs> I was saying I was able to contact like the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, Dr. Bibby, and several others and glean from their research and the, the answer is, is pretty simple. There's just a lack of new believers in Canada. Right now, the average Christian in Canada is a white woman over 55 years old. So the majority, <laughs> amen. <laughs> Love it. But we need some balance. Love those white women over 55. All right. 
So uh, I, I had to ask this question, what prevents evangelical Christians in Western Canada from effectively sharing the gospel? And I, I, did, I did a lot of surveys, traveled across Canada, talking to pastors, um, and, and then comparing my results to others. The results were, were pretty, you know, pretty clear. The number one reason that people don't share their faith is fear. People are afraid to share their faith. Uh, fear of every kind, what people will say, whether there will be a response, whether people will view them differently. Uh, the second and connected to that is there's been such a shift in worldviews that it's really difficult to share your faith because people will say stuff like, well, that might be true for you, but it's not true for me. Or they'll just cut you off and say, I believe something different. What do you do in a situation like that? So people were were really afraid of that happening when they went out to share their faith. And there's also been a very interesting shift in church and in Christianity where more and more people feel that it's wrong to share their faith. Not that they're not motivated, not that they, they don't feel equipped, but they feel that it's wrong. And so Alpha Canada, the same people that run the Alpha program, uh, interviewed 2,100 pastors 31% of them felt it was wrong to share their faith. <laughs> All right, so being a, uh, I, I started out as a Baptist pastor. And so being, I thought I'd go back to my Baptist roots here and just give you uh, three quick points on what do we do with this. I know that for me, I was like, Lord, you told us to go to the nations. You told us to disciple the nations. Like, we want this entire country for you, and we're going backwards. We're going downhill. Like, it's looking bleak. And so for the last two years, I've, I've been asking this question, well, man, what do we do with this? Like, this is bad news. You know, I, um, I did share part of this message a few weeks ago when I was at church in Manitoba, and they only gave me 20 minutes, and so I got to this point, and then I was out of time, <laughs> and I just turned around and prayed, and at the end of the thing, Kim goes, what did you do? That was terrible. <laughs> Everyone is so depressed. Okay, so we're going to keep going a few more minutes. All right, so uh, the first thing that I think it's really important for us to understand is that Jesus was not that concerned with the numbers. When Jesus was walking around in, in, in Israel, he had crowds, sometimes of 20,000 people or more. And so he would be walking around, um, healing and preaching and doing all this stuff. And people were like, yeah, I'm interested. I'll, I'll check this out. I'll follow you. And then Jesus had this habit of like turning around and saying really difficult things to them. And the disciples were like, what's going on? Like, we could have had them. Like, they could have signed up. They could have got, you know, gone through membership class and become part of our church. Jesus, that's, what are you doing? But he would say stuff like this from, from Luke. Uh, let me just read the first couple of verses. Now, large crowds were following or traveling with him. He turned to them and he said, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And then he gives them this challenge or asks them this question. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish. 
all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. And Jesus is looking for people who have authentic faith that are willing to go from the beginning to the end with him. And so this thinning out of numbers across Canada, I think that if Jesus were here walking in, in Canada today, he would not be afraid of the numbers. He'd be saying, I need real church, real Christians to bring real transformation. He says, by losing these people who have an interest, who maybe even say they are Christian, who identify, but are not active in building my kingdom and bringing transformation and healing and love to Canada, this is a good thing. This is a good thing that we are, that we are going down to find out what is actually happening. Other thing to note is that we are in a, a period of massive change in the world, and especially in Christianity in the Western world. We, the, the structures that have served us, the organizations that have served us, sometimes for centuries, are changing. And we need to recognize that this is a season of change and not be afraid of the change that is happening. Um, did everybody watch the, what was the Jesus movie? Jesus Revolution. Do you remember how awkward it was in that movie when all the hippies started coming in and hanging out in the church? And some of the establishment were like, this has got to change, Pastor. I remember I became a Christian when I was 17. My mom was actually an old school hippie. We'd have sweet grass burning in the house and you know, lots of uh, strange visitors, and we lived alternative lifestyle. I actually, I grew up in a log cabin in the forest with no running water, no sewer, no electricity. We had, a, we had two dog sled teams and no car, and uh, we ate mostly beavers. And so we ate beaver and wolf, and one time we accidentally shot an owl, so we ate the owl. And then uh, we always had like this, this, you know, this steady stream of like really alternative people through our house. And so I can identify with that movie. I, I, that's my people, <laughs> those, those old school hippies. And then when I became a Christian, I was walking in the forest and uh, had a vision of Jesus and then woke up uh, hours later laying on the ground. And then I sat up and a voice in the top of the tree says, Adam, I want you to be a shepherd to my sheep. So I was like, I guess that means I'm a Christian. And so I, I tried to go to church, but church is so weird. I, I, I walked to, to a church down the road a few weeks later, walked in, and people like were dressed different. They were acting weird. And uh, there were people in that room, that room, that room. And I was there for about five minutes. I'm like, i got to get out of here. This is too creepy. And, but I, I knew I should go to church. I mean, I'd met God, so I should go to church. And my wife always teases me because I, I'm a bit weird sometimes. I wanted to figure out how to do church. So I went across the street, and there was like, this is in a little northern bush town. So there's a whole bunch of trees. So I climbed a tree, and I, and I, I sat on the top of the tree for about two hours kind of mentally like taking notes like okay people are wearing nice clothes they they go in at this time come out at this time uh they got bibles so i was trying to figure out how to do church how to go to church and i remember i was so excited once i started attending 
that uh, I wouldn't let anything stop me. And I remember one night I was out on a Saturday night really late with friends, and I was so tired. Next morning at, at church, you know, everyone sits at the back for some reason, and I, they had nice padded pews. So I thought, I'm really tired. I don't think I can stand. I'll just go lay down. So uh, it was a very proper church, and I walked in, and I laid down in the front pew for about two hours. <laughs> My eyes were closed, but I was listening. But uh, that just threw the, the church for a, give a bit of a tizzy because they just didn't know what to do with a person like that. Anyway, all that to say, we are going through a massive cultural shift in Canada. We as church need to figure out how to be church in the middle of this change. It's not a time to be afraid. It's a time to seek the Lord and say, how can we, how can we love how can we care? How can, what words can we speak? Maybe we need to learn new language. Maybe we need to, to adapt. So this is, this is an encouragement for us as church to figure out what's happening in the world. Uh, it's interesting to note that there are uh, several churches that have actually that excel at these changes. Do you know what churches are excelling at making changes in, in this culture? We call them churches that are in the margins. These are usually immigrant churches and small independent churches. They have discovered how to be Christian and do community and live out their faith and do evangelism in these changing times. The reason for that is they have no big structure that has locked them into a certain way. So many large denominations and large churches, and Lord bless them, full of fantastic people, but they have systems that have been there for 100 years, and they're slow to change. They also have money and people, so they don't notice some of the changes that are happening around them. But immigrant churches, churches that are like five years old, they have to adapt, and they've figured out how to be Christ in their communities today. And so the fastest-growing churches in Canada are immigrant churches in big cities. We need to learn from those people. We need to connect with those people. Last point. When you look at the Government of Canada statistics, the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada statistics, and you put them all together, most churches are seeing decline. Uh, Anglican Church of Canada, are, they're losing like 30%. The United Church of Canada went through such a massive decline in the last 20 years that they're, they're still going down, but there's such a small number of them now. But... Charismatic, spirit-filled churches are growing at a rate of 33%. I think that there's several reasons that this sector of Christianity is seeing growth. Uh, number one, usually filled with very passionate people who desire God. Number two, they know that we need Holy Spirit to empower us, to encourage us, to give us prophetic words, to pray for people. It's the power of the Holy Spirit operating through these people in spirit-filled churches that are able to see 33% growth. The other thing in, in growing churches is that 
we, we see that the churches that are growing and having the biggest impact are churches that are serving their communities. And I don't just mean a food bank or handing out food. These are churches that are getting together and saying, how do we actively, proactively go into our communities, into the different spheres of society? So when is the last time that you were in a church or with Christians and said, how can we bless the business world? How can we bless people in business? How can we connect with those people? Or arts and entertainment. How are we engaging in the arts and entertainment world? I love Victoria. When I go downtown and you look at some of those, what do you call it? Well, where they put all the posters up for all the different events. There is such a music and arts scene in Victoria. What an opportunity for Christians to be involved in that. And so churches and Christians that recognize that as a possibility are the churches that are taking off and having tremendous impact. What a good Baptist. It's like 30 minutes exact. Nailed it. Okay, I do want to finish with this last story. When Canada was becoming, was being confederated, we were getting, uh, we were breaking off from Great Britain. They called a meeting of politicians in London. And so they brought all the Canadian politicians to London. The king was there. The British parliament was there. And they were having a discussion on, on confederation about Canada becoming an independent nation. And there was actually quite a, quite a debate about what to call, when they knew it was going to be called Canada, but the, the Canadian politicians wanted to be called the Kingdom of Canada. They were pushing that it would be the Kingdom of Canada, just like they had the United Kingdom in, in England or with the, those countries. They said this should be the Kingdom of Canada, but the British vetoed it. They said, no, only one kingdom allowed and we're it. And then the British said to the Canadians, they said, you should be called the colony of Canada or the Canadian colony. And so the Canadians didn't like that. There was a politician from New Brunswick who had been reading his Bible that day. And he had got to the Psalms and he's reading in Psalm 72. And this one passage really stood out to him where it's referring to God, and it says, He shall have dominion also from sea to sea. And with boldness, he stood up in front of all the politicians, and he says, What if Canada was a nation for God? What if we declared in the name that this is God's country? This nation was for God. And so it was agreed by all the politicians that Canada would be referred to as the Dominion of Canada. This has been declared to be God's country. This has been declared that the people here are his, that his kingdom should be first, that his kingdom come, his will be done, here in Canada as it is in heaven. All right. So our challenge for all of us, our challenge for the Church of Canada, capital C Church, is to embrace this change, turn our eyes to Jesus, 
and say, how do we love? How do we engage? For us personally, there's got to be some humility. Some of us have grown up in organized structures, and I like my structures. I, I, I like our systems, but it's not serving us right now. And change has to come. And people like me have to say, okay, Lord, I put my faith in you instead of structure. I put my faith in, in your, your new plan for us. And I'm willing to lay aside my denominations and uh, all the things that have held us for centuries. And so we're coming to new change. And then for us as a small sea church, for us as a life tree church, this is so exciting. God has placed us in, in, on Vancouver Island in a place that, that has so much room for the kingdom to grow. There we are surrounded by a field of harvest. And we say, Lord, what are the tools for us as a church to get out there? What are some new things that we can do? And when, when I've described, when I go to Manitoba and I'm talking to some of my old friends, I, I talk about Life Tree quite a, quite a bit. And one of the things I say, it's this church is filled with dynamic people who are entrepreneurs. God has specifically called all of you here to this church and to Vancouver Island because you have this gifting, you have this ability inside of you to pioneer new things. And I'm so excited to see what's going to come of that. I, I sometimes sit at the men's breakfast or different things and just smile on the inside going, man, God has brought some really dynamic people here for a very special purpose. So I just want to pray towards that, and then I'm going to hand it over to, to Caleb. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to earth, that you loved us so much to, to die on the cross, to make a way where there was no way. Lord, you brought your, restored your kingdom to earth. Lord, your plan is to give us life and life to the full, and then you commanded the early church, the, your early followers, to go into the entire world and to preach that message about life to the full, about your kingdom coming and your kingdom being restored and the ability for us to come close to you once again like it was at the very beginning. Lord, I'm excited that here in Canada you're shaking things up because we're going through a season of renovation. Lord, and before we renovate, things have to be torn down. And so, Lord, I, I just say, if, if it's something better is coming, then, Lord, tear down things in my heart, tear down structures, tear down whatever needs to move so that something newer and better can come in the spiritual and in the physical. So, Lord, I thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for the dynamic men and women and children and youth that are so in love with you and have such a desire to advance your kingdom here in new and creative ways. Lord, I thank you that there are incredibly talented musicians and artists here that, are, that have uh, um, entrance into the sphere of arts and entertainment. Lord, I pray for businessmen. I pray for doctors and nurses and professionals. Lord, I pray for politicians. Lord, this is an open season, and we know that your spirit is coming in a new and a very significant way. And so we just say yes to all of those things. We love you, Lord Jesus. We're excited to see what comes because you are the one leading us into the future. So we bless your name, we say thank you, and we pray these things because of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Life Tree, we are a family 
all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.